0: Difficult conversations are, well, it's in the name. They're difficult. Part of that is because they're unfamiliar conversations, ones we haven't navigated in the past. And so, therefore, not having that learned past experience puts us at a disadvantage. But what if there is a way to take a detour around the difficult part and just go straight to a confident and experienced conversation? I'm Lauren Andrews Brown, your host for this episode. And we're here today to have a not-so-difficult conversation with Christophe Malay. You're listening to How Humans eLearn Together, discussing the impact human-connected interactive experiences can have on the human capacity to learn. This is a podcast for trainers, educators, learning and development professionals, coaches and mentors, the education technology community, and anyone who wants to leverage new ways to reach lifelong learners. And to look at what others in the e-learning industry are doing to make that happen. Today, we're speaking with Chris.
1: Then we all have like a thousand conversations we can remember with, you know, like partners and family members and friends that we wish we had done differently. And often it stems from not thinking about it. But the worst is when you like really thought about what you were going to say, and it failed nonetheless.
0: Chris is an XR and education entrepreneur with a steadfast career in the sector, Christoph has been leading the way for immersive learning.
1: When I did my first internship, 2008, uh, in a consultancy company in Paris, all suited up that kind of job. At the end of the six months, I had a review with my N plus two who had never seen my work up close, was just kind of reporting what has been told to him. And he said, okay, Chris, um, you did some good things, you're smart, so we will offer you a job once you graduate next year, but just don't expect to go too far in that career because you stutter, and so we will never put you in front of clients. And following, following that, I spent a solid six months not being able to answer the phone. Um, and I think that was, a, that was a display of very poor soft skills from the part of the manager. By the way, I obviously never joined that, that, that company. And it's a year later that I did a workshop, which happened to be improvisation theater that I realized I could actually be silly in front of people and that changed my life. And that's also why I created a uh, body swap all the years down the line. So yeah, soft skills can definitely be uh, life-changing for, for yourself and those around you.
0: Absolutely. You know, you just reminded me a story I just want to share with you really quickly that has always stuck with me since I was a kid. And um, so my father ran a big film production studio in New York. And that's how I got into filmmaking. I must have been maybe like eight or something, maybe even nine. And um, we were walking by the dressing rooms. And you know, when you just hear a voice, that is like yeah. instantly recognizable. And I was walking by and I was like, Dad, is that Fossil or is that Darth Vader? And hmm. he was like, actually, it's both. And it was James Earl Jones. And I'll never forget him introducing himself to me. And he stuttered, like one of the most recognizable voices, someone who, you know, completely coined himself on his voice. And when he was off script, he had a stutter. That just made me realize well, we're able to overcome anything if we're given the confidence and the opportunity to. Christophe, can you introduce yourself?
1: Yes, absolutely. So as, as you may hear, I have a slight French accent, and that's because I was born and raised in Paris. But I moved 12 years ago to, to London. Um, spent 5 6 years in social media uh, having no idea at the time how much it would change the world and about 6 7 years ago on a on a rainy day in the winter i met with uh, julien de noel in a pub and he had the very first version of the oculus uh, rift which was this headset that later was bought by 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 meta or facebook as they were called so we were in a pub and he showed me this um vr experience where someone had recreated a a painting in 3d by van Gogh so you could walk around uh, a recreation of the night cafe and so I essentially I picked up my jaw from the floor I quit my job and I started a an agency with uh with Julien and so for a few years we did VR storytelling so I know you have a career in filmmaking and there's there's a lot of interesting question in how you tell a story in a medium where where the viewer has so much uh, so much choice as an agency so we did that for a few years and and then one day In about 2018, we were contacted by an education company who wanted to, um, to help teach soft skills or communication skills to nurses in psychiatry. And the original idea, which was everyone's original idea with VR, is like, can we put you in the shoes of a suicidal patient? Create empathy from the part of the nurse by having the nurse you know experience what it's like to be uh to be suicidal can you uh, can you see Lauren a a problem with that approach already
0: <laughs> yeah there's a lot of safeguarding issues that could be an issue mostly for the nurse as well um because people who are on the brink of of that situation and that desperation you know that's not something that you can willingly inflict on someone else
1: well yeah so i think you you're absolutely right and it's interesting you you said that um because a few years later we did a safeguarding experience and even though we had to tame down the content of it to not to not trigger any any you know any bad memories we still had to be very careful with, with warnings and so on but in that in that specific case of the nurses in psychiatry the main issue was you cannot recreate in a 15 minute experience what it's like to be suicidal because it's not a condition that is uh visual and audio in essence like you might be able to create some empathy with a film you know like a 90 minutes two hours third person following of a character where you as the director can like choose everything that's happened and where the gaze of the user goes but embodying someone who is suicidal just, just doesn't work and so what we did instead is we identified an issue which was that if you learning to be a nurse in psychiatry you're going to learn a lot of things in the classroom right the knowledge stuff and the, and the practical stuff and then you get placed in a hospital, psychiatric hospital, where you're supposed to be supervised, but in reality, you're going to be uh, left alone with patients because you know doctors have better things to do. And so you can imagine you know, young people in their 20s having discussions with suicidal patients for which they're absolutely not prepared. And what you see here is there's a gap that exists between the classroom and being able to do your job in the real world, and um, and that gap normally is called experience, right? You know, you learn, you do it again and again, you have a supervisor who makes sure like, that, that, that nothing bad happens and then you become better. But you cannot learn by trial and error when you're talking to a suicidal patient, right? There's just like too much at stake for the patient and, and for yourself. So that was kind of the original idea here. It's like, well, can we use you know virtual reality and virtual humans and all of that to create a safe space, you know, kind of a low stakes simulation, where you're gonna, you're gonna be able to practice talking with suicidal patients without actually having any consequences if you're not, if you're not doing a good job.
0: Absolutely. And for, for anyone who may not know, Chris, what is the difference between XR and how is it different to VR and AR? Because we're throwing out a lot of terms here and I just wanna lay the groundwork down.
1: Yes, so uh, the X in XR uh, stands for extended reality. So that's the umbrella term under which you're going to find AR for augmented reality and VR for virtual reality. Um, so it's it's a big term. The difference now, if you look at VR and AR, in virtual reality, your entire reality is virtual, right? So you put on a VR headset, and everything you see in the headset, all the elements in there are fake elements, virtual elements that have been created, and the sound, of course, that come in, that comes in your ear comes from that piece of software so it's virtual as well right that's that's virtual reality oh. augmented reality it's when what you see in here is mostly real but you uh, overlay something on top of it so easy example is if you're going to do a filter with snapchat or facebook you see your real face and you're going to overlay the face of you know some makeup or the face of a cat or whatever on top of it so that's uh, that's augmented reality you can have an application with your phone uh, by Ikea where you're going to place a virtual sofa in your real room to see how it would look, right? So that, uh, that, that's augmented reality.
0: So looking at it from the perspective of, of human connection, because that's a lot of what this podcast talks about, is what are the benefits of learning through XR when it comes to learning with other humans? Because otherwise, I might just think that I'm just learning from a machine.
1: Yeah, it's it is a little bit weird to say that you're going to learn to be better with humans by not learning with humans. <laughs> I think the first element is is engagement. Right, so we work a lot with with you know colleges and universities, and the first thing they say is it's hard to engage students, or, to literally get them to show up, and you know like intellectually engage with with, with what we're trying to teach. And that's that's maybe the, the lowest hanging fruit with with virtual reality is when you put the headset on. It, it's taking over a hundred percent of your audiovisual input. There's no looking at t- TikTok on your phone at the same time, or looking through the window, or whatnot. Right? You are you are there because well, you have no choice. That's that, that's very much the the, the, the first layer. Um, the the second layer I mentioned it is is the psychological safety. So in virtual reality, um, there's two ways to do it. You might go into a a virtual room and. Uh, chat with other real humans who are connected in that room right the way the way you would on zoom except you wouldn't see their face filmed by a camera you would see an avatar in 3 so that's synchronous kind of virtual reality social vr but that, that's not what we do what we do is is asynchronous in a way that you dealing with virtual humans which are essentially like a uh, uh, characters in video games right they have a script they've been pre-recorded you can uh, uh, interact in in um, in different ways and what that means is If you compare this to let's say a workshop or a role play in the real world is you safe right you get no judgment you know you 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 can make mistakes no one's gonna no one's gonna you know have hard feelings or, or judge you and so that psychological safety is is necessary for people to engage and to actually try stuff um and i think the third level which makes it quite unique is um the idea of of being able to reflect and having a coach, you know, in in speech marks, but uh, that's automated. So on the reflection part, in VR you can interact with a with an avatar in your own voice, right? So for example, after listening to a suicidal patient, you're going to uh, try to give us some advice on how to cope better when 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 things are tough in the morning. So you're going to do that in your own voice. But because you're in virtual reality and you're holding some controllers in your hands and you have a headset on your head, um, we also know how you're moving your body. And what enables us is to do the body swap, and that is to have you sit in front of your own avatar, listening back to what you said from the perspective of the virtual human. So let me, let me repeat that so it's clear. You're talking to Susan, who is, who is a suicidal patient, and you're telling her for two or three minutes how to cope better with her days. When you're done, you're going to find yourself inside Susan's body, sitting across from your avatar, and your avatar has your voice and your body language. It doesn't look like you, but it has your voice and your body language. So it's kind of like out of body experience meets self reflection. So you learn a lot from watching yourself. Uh, you know, if you think about the last, maybe like, you know, fight you had with your partner or something like this. You know, do you really know how you came across? Maybe you thought that you came across great and authoritative, but they thought you were the worst person in the world. right? So that, that, that moment of, of self-reflection is interesting. There's
0: so many times where um, self-taught practice is sometimes the best way. You know, like Whenever you're trying to prep for media engagements or something, they always recommend you to self-record yourself. And it sounds ridiculous and like such a time waste, but actually you learn so much just by watching and hearing yourself back and how to improve.
1: But it's it's hard, right? I mean, it requires a level of discipline. Have you done it? Have you like recorded yourself and watched yourself?
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, no. And it's it's not easy, but, um, you know, there there are ways to make it easier and to make it more motivating. But it's really hard to get started and just say, I'm just going to press the record button on my phone and I'm going to do this several times because it just feels like such a, a waste of time.
1: Yeah, but you, I mean, you're absolutely right. You, you learn a lot. And but for a very simple reason, is like when you're talking, you're focusing on, on, on what you're saying, you cannot process at the same time how you come across. Right? You, you cannot be in two, two angles at the same time, if, if that makes sense. Um, so in VR, you can watch yourself, which is already quite strong to be sitting across from yourself. It's different from watching yourself in a video because at well, first you have this illusion of sharing the same space. But secondly, the avatar you pick for yourself in VR doesn't have to look like you.
0: Which I think is really interesting because that's... That's an experience we don't get in, in real life, in everyday life.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, you, you, the first thing when you watch yourself back, right? If you watch a, I don't know, a webinar you've done and you watch yourself back, it's going to be like, ah, I look like shit, <laughs> right? Or like, like something, something, something like that. Well, your avatar doesn't look like you. It doesn't matter, but it goes a little bit deeper. Um, there's something called the, the Proteus effect. And it's well documented. There's been a lot of studies. And the Proteus effect um, says something along the lines of, when you have a body in virtual reality, and you create you create that illusion of uh, uh, you know virtual body uh, ownership, you will adopt behaviors that you subconsciously associate with that body. All right. So let me give you an example. Um, they did a test. We had three groups. Um, who'd find themselves in VR. And in VR, they would be in front of a, of, of bongo drums. There would be another uh, character pre-recorded. And their job was to try and follow the other character as best as they could in terms of of, of playing the drums. And they were told that the test was about how good they could be. Um, in reality, the test was not about that. Group A, they only saw their hands in virtual reality, like white, like, like like paper white. Okay, just the hands. Group 2, In VR, there would be the drums and a mirror in front of them, and they would see themselves as a Caucasian male in a in kind of in a suit. And group three in VR, they would see themselves in front of a mirror, and they would see themselves as an African-American male in a in a in a casual outfit. Um, What they measured is how much the people in each group moved their body. And for some reason, the people who saw saw themselves as African-American moved their body more. When they were playing how weird is that right that's
0: pretty in- that's interesting and an interesting to try and thing to try and measure as well um not something that's very straightforward that i would have thought of when it came to you know choosing a different color of skin um for your No, yes, character. It's,
1: it's a it's it's kind of, i mean the, the question here is is you know that's also demonstrated demonstrating some racist biases but the kind of completely subconscious, you could argue, harmless one, but that that still exists. But you have other le- less controversial one. One where they did, um, it was a, a negotiation game, live negotiation game in VR, and they just gave people uh, avatars of different sizes. Right, you would be one meter sixty or, or, or two meters tall, and they found after many experiences that your height in VR had a direct impact on the result of the negotiation on how, how aggressive you would be. Um, then another one where they would give people conventionally, I mean, they would give them a lot of avatars that looked in in the different shapes or form. And they would ask them, you know, how, how hot do you, do you think you look uh, as, as your avatar, do you find yourself ugly or pretty? And, and then they put all kinds of people in VR at the same time. And they measure the distance. So in VR, you can walk, right? So you can walk up to someone and speak with them the, the way you would in reality. And what they found is the the uglier the participants perceived their virtual body to be, the more distance they would put between them and the other people they were talking to in virtual reality, right? And that's like, that's instantaneous. So you can instantaneously change your behavior in a social setting based on, the characteristic that you subconsciously associate with your body and you can picture yourself having a body of a different gender age race instantaneously so which makes it interesting in vr right because you almost have an interest of pushing people to choose a body that's different from theirs so that they forget their subconscious biases or that they adopt new ones that are positive in that in that specific environment does that make sense
0: Oh, absolutely. That makes total sense. And I think the most interesting thing in all of that is how we can unlearn our learned behaviors uh, that we've inherited from other humans mm. in a virtual world, which I think is really interesting. Exactly. There's there's a case study that I saw from Body Swaps that had done that I think is worth mentioning here in in 2021 Body Swaps worked with George Brown College in Canada to make a job interview simulator session for their students and their confidence levels more than doubled, kind of similar to what you were talking about, you know, taking the, the real world and, you know, putting it into the virtual world. But now I'm curious, was there any follow up with those confident students on how many actually landed jobs afterwards to see if they took those soft skills that they learned in XR VR into the real world?
1: So not with George Brown. Um, okay. Even though we're still, we're still working with them because uh, sometimes like, getting that kind of data is, is tricky. We did, however, do another test with um, a company in the U.S. that I cannot name, but I'm going to tell you what they did because that was a randomized control trial. So uh, what that company does is they hire, and I mean hire graduates from from good universities in the U.S., and they train them for free to place them as contractors for the likes of Facebook, Google, and Amazon. So they place them as contractors for two years, and they take 50% of that, uh, of that fee, right? So you, the graduate, you get free training and a job at, at Amazon, and then after two years, you can become a full-time employee. And then they get between fifty dollars and $100,000 per graduate that they manage to, to place. So for them, for those guys, that conversion from I've hired that guy to i placed him at Google or Facebook is everything for their business. And so what they did is they did a test where we gave them a a, a license for body swaps. It was was during the pandemic, so they didn't even even do it in VR, they they did it in 2D. And they had a group in the US and a group in India, and each group was divided in two. Uh, One group that was doing body swaps in their own time on PC, and another group that received the regular provision for job interview training, which is a one-to-one mock interview for an hour with a career advisor. And a two-hour Zoom call uh, as a group to discuss some of the, 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 the best, uh, the best uh, techniques for, for, for job interviews. What they then did is everyone had a behavioral interview with a psychologist who didn't know who did what and had to rate them. What they found is the people who did, who did body swaps in the U.S. were marginally uh, better than the, uh, than the people who did the, the regular stuff. But in India, the body swabs group outperformed the human-supported one by 30%, which is wow. huge.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and do you want to hazard a guess as to, as to why there was such a difference between India and, and the US?
0: They did it multiple times in India?
1: Um, no, it has to do with psychological safety and the importance of psychological safety. So in the, in, in the US... Having a having a one to one with a with an interviewer on Zoom is, is is fine whether you're a a woman or a man, but in India specifically for women, being able to do it in their own time on PC, not not judge as opposed to having a one to one with a career advisor, which can be very very scary or or, or or awkward from a from a cultural perspective, was something that was really. So that it was appreciated. It's just it allowed them to really get into practice, whereas otherwise they would just have that that weird encounter and, and moved on.
0: Absolutely. I can see how beneficial that could be for that kind of a cultural setting. And and also as an American, I can see how easy it would be to just kind of be to think, Oh yeah, I can just have a one on one and then move on. Yeah. But it does make a difference. And it's not easy for everyone, though. That's something, one thing that I can see BodySwaps focuses on is self-assessment.
1: So the way the way it works for job interview training, to take an example, um it's not just, you know, get into VR, answer a bunch of questions, and watch yourself. Right? That would be good in and of itself. Probably you would find, you know, that you stutter that you stutter or use filler words or whatnot. But it's it's different. What we're saying is, um First, you're going to spend time in modules to learn the techniques one by one. So just like if you're a football player, you don't play 11-a-side games uh, all week long, right? You're going to do drills. So similarly, you go in VR and you're going to do a module on breathing and posture. And that's it. You're going to do another one on understanding how to weave a story around your strengths and then tie that to the company or job that you're applying for. And then you're gonna do another exercise on the on the car technique, which is context action results, in which you're going to practice answering a bunch of really weird questions with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Once you've mastered all those techniques, then you can go into the simulator, answer a question, and watch yourself. So you can already analyze yourself in regards to what you've learned, right? You know, am I applying the car technique? Is this a convincing story? Uh, and so on. But then the the cherry on the cake is that because the voice was recorded and the body movement was recorded we can provide you with a ton of data so you know how fast you spoke whether you use filler words um how you moved your hands whether you looked at the person you uh, you're talking to all of this is very basic but then you also have some semantic analysis so everything you say is converted into text and then we can look in that text um, we can look in that text for specific keywords but now is you with know, uh, ChatGPT and Bard and other AI, you can start to analyze things like intention and structure. So that means you can enter a simulator, pick whatever job you're applying for, um, get questions for that job, and then get a virtual coach, an AI, that's going to give you hyper-personalized feedback on, on your answer specifically. Once you have this, you go back, in, in a simulator, you answer new questions and you watch yourself again. And what happens then is when you watch yourself again is not only have you improved, but you have been the witness to your own improvement. And so that boosts your confidence and that boosts confidence called self-efficacy. And self-efficacy is the strongest driver for behavioral change. That's the one thing before you go into the interview or even before you apply that gets you to go, right, I can do it. I, I got this.
0: It's what gets and, you and, the job in the end.
1: Yeah, it's what gets you the job. It's it's the biggest difference between the kid who went to Eton and the kid who was born in 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 a in a council estate, right? It's not it's not the intelligence. It's, it's it's you know confidence that inherited. And what we can do with just technology is 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 kind of an accelerator to to try and plug that, that that gap in confidence.
0: Where do you see things going in the future? Just to wrap it up for us
1: yeah I think what's what's very interesting is what's what's happening at at the confluence of AI and XR um, AI and it's all over the news now but is is now being extremely good at creating text and analyzing it so what that means is is the analysis of what someone says can become a lot more sophisticated. You can now generate uh, conversations that are uh, infinite, right? It's not perfect yet. We have to be very careful with the limitations, but the simulating conversation and analyzing them, we're getting a lot better at this with technology very, very fast. But that's only really interesting if you believe in the simulation yourself. So that's only if you're doing a simulation on, on, on giving feedback to a sexist employee, for example, well, if you're doing that with a chatbot, it's not that interesting. You don't have the real pressure of having someone in front of you who's looking at you right in the eyes and crossing their arms, right? So when you add this thing into virtual reality and you can simulate environments and have avatars and humans that look and react the way humans do, then you start creating the conditions of performance that mimic reality. And, and I think we're approaching fast that that visionary of a, of a flight simulator for for, for difficult conversation. So that's that's what's exciting for the future.
0: So we started off talking about difficult conversations and I think we've now ended with difficult conversations. And, yeah. you know, I think the biggest takeaway for me was that uh, it all comes down to practice, like you said, and being able to practice in a safe space, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much, Christoph, for for joining us today. And if you'd like to get in touch with us regarding today's episode, previous episodes, or anything else, send me an email at lauren at gamoteca.com. That's all for this episode on how humans e-learn together, supported by Gamoteca. Until next time.